Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you're either viewing this on YouTube or listening to this on iTunes and Spotify. We always invite uh, comments and uh, telling us how we can make the podcast better. You can reach me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, fredjeffsmith, all one word, at cox.net. Let us know how we are doing. I am extremely happy today to have uh, Mr. Dadrius Lanus with us. Uh, Mr. Lanus is a uh, District 2 representative of the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board. He is a native of Baton Rouge. He is a graduate of Glen Oaks High School. He is twice a graduate of Southern University with a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And he's a graduate of Southern University's Law Center with a Juris Doctor. Uh, Mr. Lanus, thank you for taking the time to share with us today. Well, first of all, thank you, Pastor, and thank the entire Shiloh family for having me on here. You know, I know we're going through some turbulent times, but this is the reason why we need our elected elite leaders to step up and also give the community the information that they so desperately need. Help us mm-hmm. understand. <laughs> I, I told you just before we started uh, recording that uh, I was in a meeting earlier today with some ministerial colleagues mm-hmm. of mine. We're all distressed, mm-hmm. uh, to be totally honest with you, uh, around the return to school mm-hmm. and uh, what are we doing, what's the timeline, mm-hmm. what's the... Give us... As this is being recorded, it is Friday, mm-hmm. July 24th. So by the time this hits the airwaves on Monday, some things might have changed. Yes, but sir. as we're sitting here right now, what's the current status of school reopening in East Baton Rouge? So the current status of schools reopening in the East Baton Rouge Parish is that we're going to be 100% virtual. Okay. Uh, initially, uh, prior to uh, a few conversations that I had with the superintendent, as well as uh, prior to the uh, protests of teachers that took place, if I'm not mistaken, on Wednesday, um, Schools are supposed to be hybrid, and what that means it was a two uh, it was a two angle approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was going to happen was we were going to allow students to be inside of our school buildings for two days a week and at home three days a week. Uh, or parents had the option of just doing 100% virtual. Now okay. the problem with that was going to be um, it, well, there were several different issues. One, we didn't take into account how bus drivers, cafeteria workers, janitors, how those people that serve in those professions and those roles felt. Also, we didn't take into account how teachers felt. Uh, and I think there was still some uh, underlying issues in terms of parents. Like I had one parent that reached out to me and that parent said, well, I have two different kids inside of my household and they have two different last names. One of my kids can go to school the first two days, but my other child won't be able to go the other two days because I have to find a babysitter and I have to work. Mm-hmm. And they were asking me questions around it and I said, that's a really good uh, question. Mm-hmm. I need to get some answers and some clarity around that. So mm-hmm. it's just those types of underlying issues and questions that still have not been answered. And at this point, we still have uh, more con- uh, concerns and questions that still have not been answered. Um, I think that was one of the main issues that we were having was that even with the, the parent survey that went out, it was pre, uh, pre-created an- or questions. 
So it wasn't like really direct feedback that you were getting from parents and from educators. Okay. The questions are already created. So it just made it harder and it made it more frustrating for them also. Because mm-hmm. when you think about it, you know, when you're asking people to put their lives on the line, you have to make sure that you have uh, extensive or extended layers of protection for them. Because if mm-hmm. you're not, then of course they're going to feel concerned. Of course they're going to feel weary. And of course they're going to be frustrated. So yeah. the sentiments were very much well felt. As we're dealing with this, if I ask you, since we're talking about school system, if I ask you to give a letter grade to how prepared East Baton Rouge Parish school system is for virtual learning, mm-hmm. you said we're going to be 100% virtual mm-hmm. to start with. If I if I ask you to give us a letter grade as to how prepared we are for that, what letter grade would you give it at this point? If I had to give a letter grade right now of, of how well prepared I think East Baton Rouge Parish schools are right now, I would have to say it is a C. And I think that that's not good enough. It's not it's not good enough for to ask somebody to put their life on the line, mm-hmm. which is exactly why you know teachers were out there protesting, which is why I joined them, which is why they are doing it again on Saturday in front of the governor's mansion to send a point and to send a message that their lives matter. And not only do their lives matter, but their voices matter and their mm-hmm. concerns matter. And when you don't adhere to the voices of the people, especially the people who elect you, mm-hmm. they will they have a way of reminding you, and they will remind you. Mm-hmm. If it's a C. Mm-hmm. What can make it a B or an A? I think properly training teachers. I think uh, making sure that that is a checks and balance system around cleaning our school buildings. I think uh, clear-cut communication that comes from leadership. Uh, and not just disseminate it down uh, from leadership to principals and then expect the principals to do all the work to get their plans out. I think that we need a solid 100% comprehensive plan all across our district and not just expect uh, our school principals to come up with their own individualized plans. I don't think that that works. Mm -hmm. I think that we can come up with a plan that is safe for our schools, but it has to be in unison with everybody at the table, Mm -hmm. not just parents, not just educators, not just principals, but also students because these are the people who we are trying to reach. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are asking to come back inside of our school buildings and listen to us and learn from us while they're still going through this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. They're afraid too, mm-hmm. but nobody's talking to them to ask, to ask them the, the, how they feel, mm-hmm. what's their concerns, how do they feel about coming back to school, uh, you know, how are they interacting with their friends right now, how can they help to keep the curve down. Mm-hmm. I think that conversation also has to include our young people. Okay. Um. There has been a shift in administration mm-hmm. uh, between the former superintendent mm-hmm. Drake and the new superintendent, I believe her name is Ms. Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about that and, and, and how it has played a role in the preparation or lack thereof mm-hmm. for the school system moving forward into 2020? So I think that's a really good question. I think that was one of the issues that I had was the superintendent, the new superintendent had, hadn't actually taken her role on yet. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about reopening schools on originally on June 6th. That was an issue for me, especially when you think about how much time we had to prepare for an actual comprehensive plan across our district. COVID-19 happened or it happened back in November of 2019, but we shut schools down back in March. I want to say it was March 19th, uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since that time, there hasn't been any traction or really any full communication about how we were going to prepare ourselves proactively, meaning on the front end rather on the back end, mm-hmm. of how we're going to put our people back inside of our buildings and how we're going to uh, reopen our schools. And I think, I think because 
people didn't get those communications, it came across like it was a knee-jerk reaction, mm -hmm. like it was a last-minute thrown-together plan. And people don't communicate and operate that way, not in this city, not when you're asking them again to put their lives on the line and when you're asking them to take on their most precious asset that they can give us, mm -hmm. which is their child. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, their concerns were well-felt. I think their concerns were well-received. And I think now people are finally understanding and beginning to, to gather and get that teachers have a voice and they are ready to use them. Not just teachers, but our support staff too. These are the people that keep our system running. And if they don't go to work, our system doesn't run. So mm -hmm. we have to adhere to their voices. Does the former superintendent play any role in the transition at this point? Or has he fully stepped aside and the new superintendent is taking over? Is there a collaboration, I guess, is what I'm asking. I think initially, yeah, there, there was a collaboration, but I think at this point, uh, all of the control and the reins and authority is now solely on our new superintendent to make okay. those calls. Okay. And how does the school board work with the superintendent? H help me to understand mm -hmm. the structure. You, you have a school board, mm -hmm. and the school board selects a superintendent mm -hmm. of schools mm -hmm. uh, who actually does the day-to-day -day, uh, hands-on work with the schools. Is the school board in a, 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 an oversight group mm -hmm. uh, of the superintendent, or, 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 or are you all partners? Mm -hmm. Give me a better understanding. G give, give us a better understanding of what that structure looks like. Okay. So, structurally speaking, the superintendent is the CEO of East Barrage Parish School System. Okay. However, we are her bosses. Okay. We would serve as the board of directors for the East Barrage Parish School System. Okay. That means that we, uh, even though she brings something before us, we have to approve it. No matter what it is, it could be a contract, it could be uh, the opening of a school, closing of a school. Before she can make any decision that goes into effect, it has to come before our board for discussion, and the public has to have a place where they can also respond and discuss on it, or talk about it on the uh, the item or the issue mm -hmm. at hand and then we get the vote on it so it the structure is school board then superintendent associate superintendent eds the rest of the senior leadership staff okay. and then it just trickles down to principals teachers so okay mm -hmm. um so if that's the case mm -hmm. what's the 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 what is the relationship that the school board members have mm -hmm. with one another as it relates to this crisis i i, I don't want to talk about other stuff mm -hmm. because to me all that's peripheral stuff mm -hmm. with regard to this crisis because mm -hmm. because to me this is the number one problem getting mm -hmm. kids back into school in a safe environment what's the what, what's the collaboration within the board uh structure uh towards moving in that direction Woo. Well, Pastor, you know we're inside the house of the Lord, so you know I cannot <laughs> lie. It is not well at all right now. It's pretty splintered. Uh, uh, I think not only down racial lines, but it's also splintered down political lines, and that's the stuff that really, really, you know, not only it not only frustrates me, but it energizes me to mm -hmm. really get change that we really need inside of our system because. Mm -hmm. The types of decisions and things that you hear most our board, long before we even talked about the superintendent, when you come to our board meetings and you listen in and you really just pay attention, the conversations are always almost around adult issues. It's almost never really about the children, and that's who we are there to serve. That's why we were elected on these types of boards, to represent them. Mm -hmm. And those are the people who we just, it almost seems like they're the, they're the forgotten abouts. Mm -hmm. And we have to get back to having those conversations that are centered around our children and our families. Because that's that's our customers. You know, we talk about customer service of East Baton Rouge Parish School System. I mm -hmm. think that we have not done a great job in the past. And I think that that is something that, you know, when you talk about politics, 
politics of our board or the splintering of our board, at least, you know, some of the Republicans on our board can at least agree to that, mm-hmm. that our customer service has been terrible throughout the last, let's say, two decades mm-hmm. of getting effective communication out to parents, getting resources where they need to be on an equitable basis, not on an equal basis, but on an equitable basis, yeah. meaning you giving money and resources where there is a need, not where there is a want. And there has been too many wants and, and, and people adhering to those types of things that has gotten us away from what we need to do. So, but answering your question, yes, we are very splintered right now. Yeah. I appreciate the distinction you make between equality and equity. Mm-hmm. P- people always want to talk about equal, right. but they don't want to talk about being equitable. Well, sir, we don't need uh, equal anymore. Like, right. you know, we saw what it is to be equal. Right. What we need is opportunity. Right. You know, when you talked about equality, it was about ha- having access and opportunity. Right. Now the argument is, well, you got the access. What's the problem now? Well, we need the opportunity, too. Yeah. You know, uh, it's one thing for me to go to law school and I get out, and it's a dog-eat-dog girl out there. It's another thing for you to... Show me the ropes so I can be the most competent, mm-hmm. I can be the most successful, and I can be the best lawyer I possibly can be. Yeah. Uh, so you, you say it, it's political as well as racial. Yes, sir. Uh, which one takes precedence? Race. Race. We saw that with the renaming of Lee High School, man. You know, and just just for that process alone, you know, we can go back and forth you know when i originally put the resolution up uh the day that we're supposed to vote on the resolution now mind you the resolution went up that monday Mm -hmm. the vote went down thursday Mm -hmm. that thursday morning i received an email asking to add amendments to the resolution it's like wait you had three days to come up with any changes that you want to make to the resolution but you wait to the date of the resolution for us to make these changes no sir Mm -hmm. and then we get inside of the board meeting we're literally talking about this for over two hours Mm -hmm. you know when you think about the racial demographics of our school district we are 81 percent african-american and the thing about it is we didn't make it that way Mm -hmm. what happened was with forced busing happened when uh 1954. Yes, sir. Let's go back to 1954. That, <laughs> that was uh, Eugene Davis Brown Sr. Education. That, that's when it happened. Yes, sir. Brown versus Board of Education in East Baton Rouge Parish specifically. You had Eugene Davis Sr. that filed a lawsuit against the East Baton Rouge Parish School System. And after he did that, that's when the name was actually changed to Lee High School, Robert E. Lee High School, because, mm-hmm. of course, they wanted to send a message. Mm-hmm. And even when you look at the community where the school resides, is in South Downs. Mm-hmm. When we found out with the renaming committee are doing those events, uh, South Downs is actually named after a plantation that isn't even in East Baton Rouge Parish. Mm-hmm. But it just sends messages throughout our entire uh, parish and city that this is our city and mm-hmm. we're going to do whatever we want to do. Mm-hmm. And now we're in a, a time of change where you have young people who have really vibrant voices. You have people that are coming together and that are working together uh, to ensure that our voices are being heard. Mm-hmm. That's what got us across the line with, with Lee High School. I don't think it was because you had people that were really trying to do the right thing because if they were trying to do the right thing, it wouldn't have took us two hours to mm-hmm. get through a simple conversation. You mm-hmm. know, and even when before getting there, look at look at what led up to it. You had a board member who made some uh, highly insensitive comments around uh, the legacy of Robert E. Lee saying, I wish that they... When she said they, she was talking about black people. Mm-hmm. I wish that they would do some more research so they can learn about the legacy and the great things that Robert Lee Lee did. Mm-hmm. He freed slaves. Now, we all know, even though we have a limited context on what actually took place during that time, because if you know inside of our history books, inside of our school system, right. when you learn about slavery, it's literally two pages. Transatlantic slave trade. Jamestown. You don't hear about all of the things that took place, all the rape, the carnage, the uh, the uh, 
the stripping of people's culture, those things matter. And mm-hmm. that's what our students should learn. If you're going to learn the history about it, learn the full history. Don't water it down. Mm-hmm. But as the story goes, he who wins the war writes the history. Right. So now it isn't coming on us to change the narrative around the history or at least our history. The the average, I, I hear everything you're saying, mm-hmm. but the average parent, I would imagine, who's either viewing this or listening mm-hmm. to this is asking, why is my school system not prepared for us to go back into the classroom? I understand that there are things that are beyond your control, mm-hmm. this spike, this was not something that anybody could control. But as you say, you closed down schools in March, mm-hmm. April, May, mm-hmm. June, yep. July. Yes, sir. What was being done in that interim <laughs> to get us ready to go back to school at first in August? Now we're saying September. Mm-hmm. And some people are saying it might be even later than that. Yes, sir. So that is the question that nobody can answer. What in the heck took place over the last, or the course of the last four months? Mm-hmm. Why are we still unprepared to reenter our buildings? Why is it that it seems like these plans are being rushed? Why don't we have extended layers of protection for everybody right now? Mm-hmm. And my question that I asked, and I actually went before the Bessie Board, that's the state's uh, board of uh, elementary and secondary education. Yes. That's who governs all of the educational districts throughout the state of Louisiana. I went to them and I asked them, I said, we're not even having conversations around testing for COVID-19 before our students, our teachers, our staff, our principals, and before anybody comes back inside of our building, we're not even asking that they go get tested, mm-hmm. even if you don't mandate it. Mm-hmm. Right now, the, the, the mayor of Baton Rouge has had an initiative. Over 12 days, she's tried to do 5,000 tests a day. Right. So to tell us that, to say that we don't have the access, that's hogwash to me. Mm-hmm. That's an excuse. And even if we don't have as much access, use the access that we already have. That way people enter back inside of our buildings more prepared or better prepared than they were mm-hmm. before this COVID-19 uh, pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. But that's just, it hasn't been the conversations. You know, when you ask those people, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. What? You didn't think about this already? Yeah. You know, when you talk about safety of people, when you talk about people putting their lives on the line, you have to make sure every single I is dotted and every single T is crossed. Because if there is any doubt inside of your mind, if there is any inkling that somebody can get sick, then it's probably they will get sick and we should not put them back inside of those systems because one death is too much. So imagine, you know, catastrophic deaths. Imagine catastrophic people uh, getting sick or a catastrophic number of people getting sick. But I put it in context this way. As of right now, Louisiana has a population of about 4.6 million people that mm-hmm. live here. Uh, and we have about 100,000 cases of COVID-19 that has happened uh, since this pandemic That's took off. That's what the paper said this yes, morning. Yes, sir. When you put that in number, in terms of percentages, that is roughly about 2.5% of our population that has been sick. That's mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Some people may say, well, 25 is not a lot. Yeah, it is. Because half of those people did not, they didn't make it. They died. When you put that in context of how many people are inside of our school system? We have over 40,000 students, and we have about 6,500 workers. That's almost 50,000 people. Right. If you take 2.5% of that, that's about 1,500 people that could potentially be sick if we're, if we're literally comparing it to what's happening with our state averages of COVID-19 new mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. That's one full school building of kids 
including staff members that could potentially be sick. Mm -hmm. That's the way that I think about this, sure. because that's the way the scientific data is rolled out. So if we're not following what the experts say, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And I just think we have to make sure that we are doing our absolute best to protect everybody. Is the school system consulting with medical professionals uh, as they deliberate about going back into the school? Are, are, are they talking with the governor's medical expert or with the mayor's medical expert? Or, or does the school system have their own medical expert that they are consulting uh, about making sure that uh, you're adequately prepared to receive children whenever the decision is made to go back into the school system. So what I can say is do we have an independent medical consultant that we have right now? No, we don't. But what we, we are, we have been uh, widely coordinating with the mayor's office and we have been coordinating with the governor's office uh, as well as Bessie. I can honestly say to that. Uh, but the, uh, again, even with all of that coordination, even with all of the uh, the talks that we've been having with them, the plan still is not ready. It's not mm -hmm. whole. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, because even the experts can't, they, the only thing they can tell you is how you can best protect yourself in the moment. One, social distancing, which you already know that. Two, wear a mask. But I think it just goes so much further than that. Mm -hmm. And nobody talks about it, you know. Well, here's my dilemma. This church has has a daycare, an mm -hmm. early learning center. Uh, we, we, right now, we're dealing primarily with infants because mm -hmm. parents are reluctant to bring their children mm -hmm. back into this environment. I, I don't blame them. But one of the questions that I'm asking my staff here is when the parents leave after pointing their finger at the child and say, you make sure you keep that mask on. Mm -hmm. What happens when the, when the child takes the mask and starts spinning it around in their hand and throwing it down, down, down the, 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 the classroom? Mm -hmm. How do you manage 30 kids, one teacher, 30 kids in a classroom? And I'm not talking 14, 15, 16-year-olds where you hope they have some self-discipline. Mm -hmm. I'm talking eight, nine-year-olds, six-year-olds uh, who, who, who see the mask as, as a way of using it. When we were kids, we make a slingshot out of mm -hmm. the thing and, 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 and right. shoot paper stuff. How do you manage that kind of thing? It, are teachers being given uh, proper training mm -hmm. on how to make sure kids keep their masks on? See, this is the thing. That's the question that the teachers are asking. How are we supposed to manage our classroom while trying to properly or effectively social distance inside of the classroom. You know, even when you think about how you're gonna clean your buildings, mm -hmm. you know, we have problems with our buildings being clean pre prior to COVID-19. Right. So now you're talking about deep cleaning every single day. Right. How does that take place? And how do you do that on a regular basis? You know, I went by one of our schools, uh, it was about a week ago. And um, it was literally, in fact, I can tell you what school it was. It was Lee High School. And I get out there, and I was just asking the guys, I thought they were going to start taking the signage down so they could put the new sign up. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, no, we're not here for that today. We're here to uh, uh, put in some of the uh, hand sanitizer machines. And I'm just thinking to myself, wait, it's two weeks before school opened. We still haven't put hand sanitizer machines in. But at some of the board meetings, we said we had all these supplies months ago. But mm -hmm. we're just getting around to doing this. Mm -hmm. So what it cost me to do is go to some other schools. And when I tell you, I talked to other schools, and they told me, we do not have hand sanitizer machines yet. That's a problem. Yes. Two agree. weeks before, this agree. is supposed to be strategically done. Mm -hmm. Putting machines in the right area where people or students can get to them and get back to the class, and it still has not been done yet. But we were talking about, well, we were still talking about opening schools. If safety is the heightened priority in all of this, why is it not being done?
Do students in general, uh, do students have, you, you say everything is going to be virtual when, mm -hmm. you, when you open. Do students have access to the computers or the tablets necessary in order to participate in a virtual learning environment? Is, is the school system responsible for, for providing that yes. where, there, where, where there isn't one? Yes. Uh, are there adequate tablets or, or laptops for every student? So what I can say is that when the superintendent uh, made her announcement uh, on Tuesday, she said that we have an adequate amount of tablets and uh, 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 the mobile hotspots for our students to take home. However, you still have parents that don't have devices. Uh, you have some schools that have not been answering the phone for those parents. How do I know this? Because parents have reached out to me personally, and I literally had to go to central office, to our IT, to get two uh, computers because this family just could not get in contact with the school. Mm -hmm. uh, this family needed as much help as possible, mm -hmm. and it was just on my heart that day. And I was like, okay, this can't continue. And th these are two kids. One was fourth grade, the other one was sixth grade, one was fourth grade, and they needed those tablets so that they can get ready or get geared up to start school or at least get back in the knack of uh, knowing how virtual school is going to start and communicating with the teachers of those students. Um, but, you know, as much as we'd say to the public, yes, we have these computers, it's access to getting the computers open. And that's mm -hmm. what we were talking about earlier. You know, it's one thing to say that you have something, but do you have access and the opportunity to get something done? You know, we can have a whole stockpile of computers, a whole stockpile of mobile hotspots. But how is it getting disseminated to our teachers, um, to our students, and how is it being disseminated to our families? That's the biggest question. Some families do not have transportation. Right. We have to realize this. How are those families getting computers? Is anybody reaching out to those families? Mm -hmm. Are any surveys going out asking families, do you have internet access? How can we better help serve you? We're right. talking about opening schools, but are those types of questions being asked inside of these surveys? Right. Because those are very important questions if you're talking about going 100% virtual. Right. I pastor a church. How can churches help the East Baton Rouge Parish school system uh, get its message out to our members, to the, to the broader community? Uh, is there a document that has been prepared with uh, uh, bullet points that will help us to share information with parents? Does anything like that exist at this Yeah, point? so there is a 2020 school reopening blueprint. Uh, I think that that's still readily changing right now. So uh, when that document is fully uh, complete, that's something that I would love to disseminate to as many churches as possible. Or at least I'd like to see our school system disseminate that information to as many churches as possible so they can get that those messages out, not just to their congregation, but to our communities mm -hmm. as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I love the fact that you are utilizing your platform by having me on this podcast today. Uh, Pastor Eric Williams of uh, Beacon Light, Beacon Light yes, uh, had me on uh, his uh, Wednesday podcast. Um, uh, Bible study service, and we just talked about school reopenings. Right. I think using those types of platforms to get that message out, I think it absolutely helps. I want to say maybe about 2,000 to 3,500 people tuned in mm -hmm. and watched that podcast just off of their podcast, I mean, not podcast, but their, uh, their uh, a church uh, virtual uh, page alone. Mm -hmm. And I just think that they did a really, really big job in helping to get that information out there. And I really feel like, in terms of our school system, we have to do a better job of disseminating information and an effective way to get it to our entire community as possible. Even if there are parents that may not hear it, 
They go to churches. Right. Utilize our churches. Right. Talk to our pastors. Talk to those community leaders. Help them. Uh, push that information to them so they can use it on their platforms. This is affecting our entire community. You know, yeah. when you talk about schools, people don't understand how schools affect the entire city. Right. Our students make up the basis or the foundation for our workforce. Mm -hmm. If schools are not running, or they're not running effectively, we don't have a strong workforce. You know, when you connect it to underperforming schools right now, and you look at our labor force, that is a direct correlation to our labor force. But not only a direct correlation to our labor force, it also is a direct correlation to our uh, criminal justice system here in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. When you look at how many students are not graduating versus how many students are going inside a parish prison, it is literally aligned. And I don't know if people understand that. If you look at how many juveniles are going or, or inside of uh, uh, Ryan's detention center, it is literally aligned to the success rate of our school system, which is why we have to get this right this time. We do not have any time to wait because we are losing our people every single day. Let me ask you this question, uh, uh, and, and we're close to wrapping up. Mm -hmm. But is this a prime time? I, I know that it's a pandemic, and, mm -hmm. and 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 we didn't plan this. But is this an opportune time for us to do some rethinking about how education is done on the whole? Uh, uh, the the way that we do education in East Baton Rouge Parish, we are struggling. Mm -hmm. you know, Louisiana ranks 50th mm -hmm. in the country mm -hmm. out of 50. Yes, sir. Dead last. Yes, sir. In education. Yes, sir. Is this an opportune time for for bright, thoughtful people to come together and rethink the whole structure of how we do education? Are there other ideas out there that others are doing that perhaps we should go look at and see how we can incorporate into our schools? I'm not just talking East Baton Rouge. I'm talking mm -hmm. about the state of Louisiana. Yes, sir. What, what are your thoughts around, around that? I would say heck yes. We are one of the most underdeveloped states. We have one of the most backwards economies. Uh, our primary source of making money has been the petro, the, the petrochemical plants. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. They have their place, and they do a phenomenal job with the job they do mm -hmm. for our state in terms of producing revenue and income. But we have to get outside of just thinking that that is the only source of what we have here in our state and also inside of the capital city. Mm -hmm. I can tell you this about East Baton Rouge Parish Schools and something that I really want to see change. I want to see us be more innovative about the way that we go about reaching our students. As it stands right now, we teach our students to be workers. That does not prepare them for the future. Mm -hmm. We need to be teaching them how to be innovative thinkers yes. on their own, yes. how to use analytics to create opportunities of wealth for themselves. Mm -hmm. We are not learning about, you know, when you talk about the wealth gap, before you get to the wealth gap, we got to talk about the poverty gap. Because the students that we have inside of our system, when you look at the rates of where they live and what communities they come from, it is in communities that are severely underserved. Yeah. So first, let's talk about poverty. After we talk about poverty, then let's talk about generational wealth. After we talk about generational wealth, let's incorporate and infuse entrepreneurship programs inside of our schools that teach our students how to build their own businesses. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Of course, you have to have workers that go out there and do the work. But when you look at where the future of everything is going, it's going to go to automation. 
it's going to get to a point where you're going to have fewer workers doing those jobs because right. machines is going to is going to be one more efficient and it's going to be cheaper for them to do it. Right. So now we have to prepare ourselves to get our students to start thinking, how do you create your own business? And then creating your own business, how does that somehow infuse what you want to do inside of your community where right. you live? Right. How does this uproot and help the community where you come from? Think about it. You have a South Baton Rouge community right here. Think if we had our students at McKinley High School that were working on entrepreneurship programs that were uplifting and helping this community over here. Same thing in Glen Oaks. Same thing in Scotlandville. You know, when you look at what's happening at the petrochemical plants, a lot of the work is being subcontracted out. But I want you to look at the people who are the subcontractors. They're not people that look like you and I. Right. We have to talk about equity in terms of contracts around our city. Right. You know, and I don't think it takes a study to do that. And I'm not trying to be political, and I'm not coming at anybody, but I have to speak truth to power on this issue because this is affecting the people who try to keep this city afloat. Mm -hmm. It is affecting the people who make up the majority of this city. Mm -hmm. And it has to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. And we can no longer just put it on the sideline because it is hurting us and it is hurting the future of our city. You're talking about entrepreneurship. Yes, sir. And... Uh we have lost that mm -hmm. uh, in, in subsequent generations. Mm -hmm. there, there, there was a time when we were entrepreneurs mm -hmm. we, by force because mm -hmm. everything was segregated. Yes, sir. <laughs> but with integration, one of the things that was lost was a sense of entrepreneurship. Dangerous mm -hmm. Lanes, thank you for taking the time to come and share with us thank you, Pastor. today. I hope you'll come back and share with us as things progress uh, down the road in the future. Absolutely. And I'm praying for the school system that uh, it finds its way because our kids need a, a, a robust and excellent mm. uh, learning environment. Yes, sir. Thank you again. Thank, Thank you, you all for viewing. We'll be back again next Thank time. You all for